0: I'm not Pastor Brandon. For those of you who are visiting, Pastor Brandon is taking us through the book of James on Sunday mornings, and he'll be back in that journey next Sunday, but he's taking a break today. It's good to to be with you. Choices. Life is made up of choices, isn't it? When you wake up in the morning, you choose whether to get out of bed or not. You you choose what to wear. You decide uh, what to eat for breakfast. You all chose to come to church this morning. I'm thankful for that. Throughout any given day or week, there are literally hundreds of choices we all make. And yet I'm sure you would agree that some choices in life are more important than others. Some are literally life and death choices. I'm reminded of that scene in the Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade, where everyone is frantically looking for the chalice that Jesus used in the Last Supper. The thinking was that if you drank water out of that very chalice, you would live forever. One of the bad guys in the movie finally discovered the secluded cave where the chalice was hidden. It was guarded by this soldier who had been standing guard for hundreds of years, and he looked like it, right? You remember that scene? This really old dude. The only problem was there were scores of other decoy cups to fool people. Which one was the real chalice? The man began looking at all of them very carefully and finally he chose one. He was convinced it was the chalice that Jesus used. So he quick filled it with water, took a drink. Eternal life at last, he thought. Instead, his face immediately began to melt. His eyeballs popped out. He screamed in horror as he disintegrated right on the spot. You remember that scene? And do you remember what the old guard said right after that? He chose poorly. (laughs) Remember, that's a classic line. He chose poorly. There are millions of people today who have chosen poorly, aren't there? Just ask the myriads who are sitting in prison this morning, or the woman on her fifth husband, or the pregnant teen, or the alcoholic. Some choices affect our lives greatly. Some can even destroy us. And those are the types of choices I want us to focus on this this morning. If you would, picture your life as a road. And every now and then there's this fork in the road. And whichever fork you choose is a decision so important, it will affect you for the rest of your life. Maybe even your eternal destiny. Our passage in the Word of God this morning presents us with three such forks in the road of life that most all of us are faced with. And what makes these choices so hard is that the wrong road looks so much more appealing at first glance than does the right road. The wrong road often gives us intense pleasure and excitement, while the right road often leads to pain and suffering. And who wants to, to choose pain over pleasure? On top of that, the wrong road is by far the most popular. Jesus describes it as the broad road that leads to destruction and many people are on it. The large majority of cool people in the world today travel on this road. And if we choose to leave this road, we will be in the minority. The masses will think we are crazy. Many will make fun of us and reject us. And and who wants that? This morning, we're going to look at one of the godliest men in the Old Testament. As he came to each of these forks in his own journey through life, God helped him to choose the right road each time. He chose the hard road, the narrow road, but it was the right road, and it cost him greatly. And my prayer is that by the time I'm finished this morning, We will learn from this man how to make godly choices in our own lives, thus enabling us to break away from the masses in the world today and go down the road less traveled. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the passage that Chris just read for us. Hebrews 11, and also on the back of your bulletin there is some sermon note info that would be good for you to kind of have in front of you as I'll be referring to it from time to time. By the way, this is a great follow-up sermon to Pastor Brandon's sermon last Sunday from the book of James where we saw in James that friendship with the world is enmity towards God. And thus 1 John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. You'll see why this is a good follow-up to that as we go this morning. As many of you know, Hebrews 11 is a biblical discourse on faith. In this great chapter, we learn what it means to live by faith from some of the godliest people in the Old Testament. Our passage today focuses on the life of Moses. Let's read again uh, part of the passage that Chris read earlier, starting in verse 23, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, you can't appreciate the significance of those verses and the sacrifices that Moses made to follow God until you understand his privileged position and upbringing. Um, Acts chapter 7 verses 20 through 22 give us some more insight. You don't need to turn there. Just listen as I read from Acts chapter 7. At that time Moses was born. He was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. So we learn from the book of Acts and and in the Old Testament that Moses was raised with a silver spoon in his mouth, so to speak. In his excellent biography on Moses, F.B. Meyer describes the life and times of this illustrious leader as he grew up in the cushioned lap of Egyptian royalty. Please listen as I just read a section from Meyer's biography. What a mag- magnificent land must Egypt have been in those days of which the Greek historian Herodotus and the hieroglyphic records speak. The atmosphere was rainless. The Nile brought from afar rich alluvian soil that bore corn enough to feed the world. The banks of the river were covered with cities, villages, stately temples, and all the evidences of advanced civilization, while mighty pyramids and colossal figures towered to a 100 feet in the air. The cream of all of this was poured into the cup of Moses. He was brought up in the palace and treated as the grandson of Pharaoh. If he rode forth in the streets, it would be in the princely entourage amid the cries of bow the knee. If he floated on the Nile, it would be in a golden barge amid the sounds of volu- voluptuous music. If he wished for anything, the almost illimitable wealth of the treasures of Egypt was within his reach. When old enough, he was probably sent to be educated in the college which had grown up around the Temple of the Sun and had been called the Oxford of ancient Egypt. There he would learn to read and write the mysterious hieroglyph, there too he would be instructed in mathematics, astronomy, and chemistry, in all of which the Egyptians were adept. But Moses was something more than just a royal student spending his years in culture refinement and lettered ease, he was also a statesman and a soldier. Historian Josephus says that while he was still in his early manhood, the Ethiopians invaded Egypt, routed the army, sent them against them, and, and threatened Memphis, the capital. In a panic, the oracles were consulted, and on their recommendation, Moses was entrusted with the command of the royal troops. He immediately took the field, surprised and defeated the enemy, captured their principal city, and returned to Egypt with laden with the spoils of victory. So Moses had a life that most people in the world today only dream about. Lots of money and luxurious living, power, fame, prestige, every sensual pleasure available to man, intelligence, the best education money could buy. And yet we read here in Hebrews 11 that he gave up all of that in order to follow God. Verses 24 to 26 present us with three major forks in the life road of Moses. Let's look at the first fork, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, it's significant that it says the phrase, when he had grown up. Acts 7, verse 23 tells us that Moses was about 40 years old when he broke away from this privileged lifestyle. So this is not the decision of an immature child or rebellious adolescent. This is not the choice of a young person who's high on drugs or an idealistic uh, college kid who's going out to find himself. No, Moses was a mature, sane, well-educated man. He, he fully understood what he was giving up. He had no doubt counted the cost of following God, which Jesus tells us to do in the gospel. Verse 21 goes on to say, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Fame, power, prestige are very alluring these days, are they not? Hollywood is filled with people today who have sold their souls in order to be famous. Millions of teenagers today um, have popularity as their god. Just visit the average middle school or, or high school, and you will see it. young people who will do almost anything, including stupid, immoral or even illegal stuff, to be cool, popular and accepted by their peers. Being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses had as much fame and popularity as anyone in his day. He would be like the LeBron James, or for you uh, Patriots fan, Tom Brady or Queen Elizabeth of our day. People bowed down when he walked by. If he were alive today, people would stand in line for hours just to get his autograph or to have their picture taken with him. As a young man, he would have been the pent-up poster for thousands of young Egyptian girls. Their hearts raced when he walked by and they dreamed of what it would be like to be married to Moses. And yet in order to follow God, he walked away from all of that. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now let that sink in for a moment. That would be like Prince Charles or Prince William or Harry of England moving out of the palace, changing their name and refusing all of the privileges of royalty and instead moving in with some peasants and spending the rest of their lives in poverty and obscurity. You see, Moses knew in his heart that he was a Hebrew. So he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Thus, the first major fork... And the life road of Moses looks like this. And it's, it's on, your, on your bulletin. Uh, on the one side, it's upper class position, political power and prestige, popularity and fame. And on the other side, it's lower class position, i.e. slaves, obscurity and rejection, wandering in the desert for the rest of your life. Which of those two forks would you choose this morning? You say, oh, Jeff. So I'm so glad I don't have to make that choice. But yes, you do. You see, God calls many of us to make choices similar to the ones Moses made. Coming to Christ often means that you give up popularity. It sometimes means that you are made fun of and rejected by your peers because of your biblical values. If you are a Christian, chances are pretty good that you will never have a lot of political power or fame or prestige according to the world's eyes. To be sure, there are exceptions to that, but not many. I wonder, are you willing to give up these things to follow Christ? And I'm not saying that we Christians should be a bunch of nerds. What, what, what I am saying is that if you follow Jesus and live a godly life, you will not be cool or popular in the non-Christian world's eyes. You will not be embraced by the masses. In fact, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, the world hated me, they are going to hate you as my followers. But that's not all. Power, position, and fame were not the only things Moses sacrificed to follow God. Look at verse 25 choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Another thing Moses gave up was the pleasures of sin. We can only imagine the sinful temptations that were thrown at Moses in the palace. Now, to be sure, all of us are tempted to sin. But it is my observation that people who have a lot of money, beauty, power, fame, and position face much greater temptations than do the rest of us. I'll never forget back in 1993 when the famous professional basketball player Irvin Magic Johnson held a news conference. And he confessed to the entire world that he had contracted the AIDS virus because of promiscuous sex. And in another interview, Johnson talked about the temptations that NBA players faced back then, and they still do today. Every town they traveled to, there would be scores of women lined up just to sleep with these men. They were continually bombarded with all types of sinful indulgences. Drinking in excess, drugs, sex, the party lifestyle. You know, I have often said that I am thankful that I'm not wealthy or famous or or this super handsome guy. Why? Because I couldn't resist the temptations that go along with those things and neither could most of you. Wealth, fame, and beauty are curses in disguise. Just look at the Hollywood crowd today. Jesus says, it is harder for a rich man to go to heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why? Because rich people trust in their money rather than trusting in God. So being rich and famous and probably a nice looking man, Moses faced incredible temptation. Sinful pleasures were all around him. And let's focus on that phrase in verse 25, pleasures of sin. Don't let some well-meaning Christian tell you there's not any pleasure in sin. That's a flat-out lie. Sometimes there is intense pleasure and excitement in sin. In fact, the pleasure of sin is so strong and addictive it can cause people to destroy their lives. The pleasures of sin have caused pastors to abandon their family and ministry for another woman. The pleasures of sin have caused men and women to choose alcohol and drugs over their family and children and and careers. The pleasures of sin have caused people to turn their back on Christ and the church in order to pursue bigger, better, and more. 2 Timothy chapter 3 describes the generation of people in the last days. And one of the phrases it uses in verse 4 is this. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sinful pleasure and excitement can be so addicting. Can it not? It can feel so good at the time. But have you noticed the pleasure doesn't last? That's another thing we learn about sin in this passage. Did you notice the word there in verse 25? The fleeting pleasures of sin. The King James Version says the pleasure of sin for a season, the New American Standard, the passing pleasures of sin. Even if you indulge in a particular sin for the rest of your life, that's a nanosecond compared to eternity. And not only is the pleasure of sin temporary, it is also, as the ESV says, fleeting. It is diminishing. For example, two teenagers can begin a physical relationship with something as seemingly innocent as holding hands or a hug, but it's not long before holding hands doesn't excite them anymore. And so in order to find satisfaction, they go a little further physically and, and a little further and a little further. And unless something stops that train and they step on the brakes, it will eventually lead to an immoral relationship. What starts out as stealing just one piece of candy from a store can eventually lead to robbing a bank at gunpoint and being thrown into prison. What begins as a flirtatious glance at work can end up in a full-blown affair. Do you remember those anti-drug commercials years ago that showed a clean-cut teenager who said, I'm going to try meth just one time? The next picture is the same kid, several months later, sores all over his body, shooting up drugs in his vein, frantically looking for his next hit. Just one time led to a destructive, full-blown addiction. So, so Moses turned his back on the fleeting pleasures of sin. And notice what he chose instead. It's, it's amazing, verse 25. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Now people of God in this text in this verse is a reference to the Jewish people. They were hated and despised by the Egyptians. They were lowly slaves who were beaten and mistreated. And yet Moses to be mistreated with them than to stay in the palace and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And isn't that true of all people of faith? If you are here this morning as a follower of Jesus, you are consistently battling sin. We struggle with sin every day, right? Yeah. We're consistently fighting it. We're saying no to its pleasures, while at the same time you are aligning yourself with the people of God. Becoming a Christian involves more than just a commitment to Christ. It is also a commitment to the body of Christ, His church. The Bible teaches that as Christians we must love our fellow believers We are to bear one another's burdens and minister to each other's needs. When one member of the church suffers, we all suffer with them. When one member of the church rejoices, we all rejoice with them. Moses demonstrated this kind of commitment to God's people. So the second fork in the road of this godly man's life in verse 25 looks like this. On the one side, the fleeting pleasures of sin with the people of the world... On the other side, pain and mistreatment with the people of God. Which fork do you choose this morning? Perhaps you're right at the fork as I speak. Only Christ can give you the power to make the right choice and continually resist the pleasures of sin. And how committed are you to the people of God? Is ministry in your church family here at Windsor Christian a priority in your life? Or do you just fit church in when it's convenient for you? This is a serious matter, my friends. Now this doesn't mean that we should not love the people of the world and spend time with them and try to bring them to Christ. I personally think that some Christians are too isolated. All they have is Christian friends. That's not healthy. But what this does mean is that we should not participate with them in their sinful activities. We should be in the world, but not of the world. Hate the sin, love the sinner. The final fork in Moses' road of life is found in verse 26. Look at it. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, there's some debate about that phrase, reproach for the sake of Christ. That that phrase raises an interesting question. How much did Moses and the other Old Testament saints know about Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? Well, we can't be sure, but it appears from this verse that Moses was fully aware of Christ's presence, and maybe even his coming as the Messiah. And so the third fork in Life's Road from verse 26 looks like this. On the one side, the treasures of Egypt which includes lots of money, homes, luxuries, ease of life. We can only imagine the wealth that was at Moses' disposal had he stayed in the palace. On the other side, it's disgrace for the sake of Christ. No doubt including rejection, persecution, and a life of suffering. We know it included wandering in the desert for the rest of his life living in tents. As you look at those options, which would you choose this morning? Who in their right mind would choose the latter over the former? Well, the rest of verse 26 tells us how Moses did it. Did you notice? It says, because he was looking to the reward. Uh, Another translation says, he was looking ahead to his reward. Verse 24 begins with the words, by faith Moses did all of this. You see, Moses realized what all people of faith realize. There is more to this life than this life. He also realized the future rewards for godliness far outweigh the short-term pleasures of sin. Also, the future rewards for godliness far outweigh the short-term pain and suffering we experience in following Jesus. Moses kept his eyes focused on the eternal reward by faith. He was looking forward to another city whose builder and maker was God. God. The Apostle Paul did the same thing. Look at what he writes as he compares our present suffering with our future glory. I've included these verses in your bulletin. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Romans 8.18 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The eternal rewards for godliness far outweigh the short-term pleasures of sin. And the eternal rewards for godliness far outweigh the pain and suffering that comes from following Christ. So back to the third fort of verse 26. The treasures of Egypt, lots of money, material wealth, luxuries, an easy life, And on the other side, disgrace for the sake of Christ, rejection, persecution, suffering. If you had to choose one of those roads, which do you choose? And just in case you say, Jeff, I I, I think it's possible to, to try to walk down both of those roads at the same time. In case you think that, I'll let Jesus answer it. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other. Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some of you may be at this fork in the road right now as you speak. The allurement of pursuing money and earthly treasures and making your job an idol is is pulling at you greatly. And on the other side is God and heavenly treasures. Jesus is clear you can't walk down both of those roads at the same time. Now that doesn't mean you can't have both. God blesses Christians with significant money and resources, especially we American Christians. We American Christians are wealthy compared to to three-fourths of the rest of the world, are we not? So I'm not saying you can't have both God and money. What I am saying is you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot love them both. At the same time, the issue is your heart. Either money or Christ will be your greatest treasure and pursuit in life, but not both. What's your greatest treasure? Moses chose Jesus. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of far more value than the treasures of Egypt. What's your choice this morning? And you know, I don't think this is a choice that we make just once in a lifetime. I see these as choices we make almost every day. Am I going to choose God or money today? Is it God or popularity? Is it God or the pleasures of sin? Is it being cool in the world's eyes or following God? Is it earthly treasures or heavenly treasures? We all are bombarded with idolatry every single day, are we not? So we see here Moses gave up an awful lot to follow God, and so must we. This passage reemphasizes a truth that is taught throughout the Scriptures. It is true that we're saved by grace alone, through repentant faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone, apart from any human works. But it's also true that true saving faith is always accompanied by a commitment to Jesus and sacrifice. Always. And you see, this is why I said earlier that this is a great follow-up sermon to what Pastor Brandon preached last Sunday out of the book of James, where we saw that friendship with the world is enmity towards God. And thus 1 John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If you do the love of God, the Father is not in you. The things of this world are passing away. As I studied these verses, I was reminded of a famous saying of another godly man. Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Aka Indians down in Ecuador back in the 1950s. Like Moses, he chose the road less traveled. Before he and four other missionaries were violently murdered by those Indians as they tried to take the gospel to those Indians, Jim Elliott wrote these words He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll never forget the picture I saw years ago of a a millionaire who died. And get this, he was buried in a three-piece suit with a cigar in his mouth strapped behind the steering wheel of his Cadillac. And the picture showed them lowering this huge Cadillac into the grave. The car was his coffin. And the caption under the picture says... Who says you can't take it with you? (laughs) Well, I can assure you that Cadillac did not go to where that man's soul went when he died, right? You may be buried with your stuff, but you still can't take it to heaven or hell. Moses had everything this world deems as important, yet he realized he could not keep that stuff forever. As soon as he died, it would all be gone. And that's what Jim Elliot meant when he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. He gives it up in his heart. He holds the things and relationships of this world loosely. He gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Eternal life is ours forever, is it not? This is why it's called eternal. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, No one can pluck my children out of my father's hands. They are secure. And even though there's some debate among Christians today, I believe the Bible teaches we cannot lose our salvation. Our relationship with Jesus will never be taken away and neither will all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. They are eternal. So you see, my friends, He is no fool who gives up the things of this world that He cannot keep in order to gain eternal blessings that He cannot lose. Now don't misunderstand me this morning. Some of you are getting a little nervous. I am not saying that we have to give up all of the things of this world and become like poor monks and vagabonds who barely make ends meet in order to follow Christ. No. As I said earlier, God blesses many of His children with money and other things of this world that we don't really need. All of us here today have more than we really need to exist. And 1 Timothy 6.17 says that God gives us these things for us to enjoy. So we should enjoy all of the gifts that God lavishes on us. But what I am saying this morning and what you hear me say often is that you must love Christ more than anyone or anything in this world. You must treasure the giver more than you treasure His gifts. And if you don't, you're committing idolatry. If you love your children or grandchildren more than you love Jesus, it's idolatry. And if he calls you to sacrifice relationships or money or things or even your own life, as he did for Moses, you must willingly do it just like Moses did. You see, the issue is your heart. True saving faith is always accompanied by treasuring Christ in your heart above all else, which results in self-denial and sacrifice to some degree. Now that's not a popular message these days, but it's one that you and I desperately need to hear in this materialistic, pleasure-seeking America in which we live. I began this sermon today talking about choices. We have looked at three choices or forks in the road of life that most all of us here today are faced with. Some of us face them almost every day. My friends, these are the types of choices that will affect your eternal destiny. When I get to the end of my life a short time from now, I don't want to hear a rerun of that famous line in the last crusade movie. I don't want to... Stand before the judge of the universe and hear him look at me and point and say, He chose poorly. Do you want to hear that? Depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, how I pray that God will help each of us follow Moses' example of faith. And if by God's grace you choose the road less traveled, I can assure you that many of your non-Christian friends will think you are crazy. They will think you are a fool to love Jesus more than you love power or fame or wealth or popularity or comfort or sex or sinful pleasure. They will think you are stupid to choose a road of pain and suffering over a road of sinful pleasure and the party lifestyle. But when they say that, and when they are laughing at you, or when they don't include you in their gatherings, and they reject you, just remember the words of Jim Elliot that beautifully summarize our text today in the life of Moses. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You cannot keep your house you cannot keep your job or your money. You cannot keep your health. You cannot keep your family and friends. You cannot keep your church or ministry. The second you die, all of those things will be gone. So enjoy those blessings, but hold them loosely. If God calls you to give them up like He did for Moses, let them go because they're all going to be gone anyway. They're all passing away. The things of this world are passing away. You see, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? Amen. 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 Let us pray. Lord, um, we just confess to you that our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we are bombarded with temptations every day. You've lavished us with so much. We American Christians have so much more than we need to live. And our temptation, O oh Lord, is to love your gifts more than we love you, the giver. We are sorry for that. We are sorry for that. Lord, I just pray that you would give us grace to follow the path that Moses followed. Each of our paths, each of our journeys looks different. We are all called to sacrifice different things at different times and different ways. But the bottom line under all of it, Lord, is we want you to be our greatest treasure. We want you to be our greatest treasure. please do that work in our lives more and more each day. We want You to be our first love and our greatest treasure more and more each day. Help us to hold the things and relationships of this world loosely. And if You choose to take them away, help us to let them go and not be bitter or angry, but to find our greatest joy in You, Lord. Take us there. We can't go there by ourselves. Take us there.